morning. It's Sunday morning, December 16th. And I'm beginning, I'm sitting here with my coffee and my two kitties in the studio space looking out the window and it's starting to rain. I knew the storm was coming in. So that is a good sign. And they're huge drops. I mean like big fat drops, like big polka dots on my yard, on my uh, walkway here. And Molly is here. Maggie too. Yeah, it's a little Maggie. I knew she would respond. <laughs> okay, so we are on to chapter the next chapter of Emily Carr's Growing Pains, the autobiography of Emily Carr. It's titled Drawing an Insubordination. Hmm. I wanted to draw a dog. I sat beside Carlo's kennel and start and stared at him for a long while, long time. Sorry. I'm still waking up actually, not really. What time is it? 10:30. I've been awake a while. <laughs> but I am just having my coffee and I just sorry, I digress here. I just like doused for some reason. I was still drinking and I pulled the cup away from my mouth and I baptized my book with coffee spills. That's why I'm so glad it's not a library book. Mm. This is my own book I got when I was in Vancouver, and so now I'm like holding open the page so it can dry. Okay, back to the reading. Let me start again. I wanted to draw a dog. I sat beside Carlo's kennel and stared at him for a long time. Then I took a charred stick from the grate, split open a large brown paper sack, and drew a dog on the sack. My married sister, who had taken drawing lessons, looked at my dog and said, Not bad. Father spread the drawing on top of his newspaper, put on his spectacles, looked, said, Mmm. Mother said, You are blacked with charred wood. Wash. The paper sack was found years later among father's papers. He had written on it, by Emily, aged eight. I was allowed to take drawing lessons at the little private school which I, which I attended. Miss Emily Woods came every Monday with a po- portfolio of copies under her arm. I got the prize for copying a boy with a rabbit. Bessie Nuthall nearly won because her drawing was neat and clean, but my rabbit and boy were better drawn. Father pruned the cherry tree under our bedroom window. The cherry sticks were twisty, but I took three of the straightest, tied them at one end, and straddled them at the other, and put two big nails in the wood to hold a drawing board. With this easel under the dormer window of our bedroom, I felt completely an artist. My sister Alice, who shared the room, complained when she swept around the legs of the easel. When I went to the big public school with my sisters, we were allowed on Fridays after school to go to Miss Withrow's house for drawing lessons. I got sick for fear I'd be kept in and miss any of the lesson, so mother wrote a note to the teacher asking that I be let out on time. Miss, my sisters, Lizzie and Alice, painted flowers. I drew heads. 
Miss Withrow sewed small photographs into little squares with white cotton thread. Then she ruled a big sheet of paper with big squares, and I drew as much in a big square as there was in a little in a little one. <laughs> in this way, I swelled father and mother and my sister's baby. Father put mother and his and father put mother and himself in gilt frames and gave me five gold dollars. My sister thought my drawn baby was not good enough to be her child. The Victoria's tombstone maker got some plaster casts of noses, hands, lips, and eyes to help him model angels for his tombstones. I heard that to draw from casts was the way they learned at art schools, so I saved my pocket money and bought some of these oversized human features and drew them over and over. My mother died when I was 12 years old, and my father died two years later. When father died, I was still at school getting into a great deal of trouble for drawing faces on my fingernails and pinafores in textbooks. My sisters and my my sisters and brother were good students. When I moved up a grade, the new teacher said, "Ah, another good car," but was disappointed. After father and mother died, my big sister ruled. She was stern like father. She was 20 years older than the youngest of us. Our family had a wide gap near the top where the three where three brothers had died. So there was mother's big family of two grown-up girls and her little family of three small girls and a boy. The second of the big sisters married. The biggest sister owned everything and us too when father died. Lizzie and Alice were easy children and good. Lizzie was very religious. Alice was patient and took the way of the le- of least resistance always. Dick too was good enough, but I was rebellious. Little Dick and I got the riding whip every day. It was a swishy whip and cut and curled around our black stocking legs very hurtfully. The most particular sin for which we were whipped was called insubordination. Most always it arose from the same cause. Remittance men or remittance men's wives. Canada was infested at that time by old country, younger sons and ne'er do wells, people who had been shipped to Canada on a one way ticket. These people lived on small remittances received from home. They were too lazy and too incompetent to work, stuck up, indolent, considering it beneath their dignity to earn, but not beneath their dignity to take all a Canadian was willing to hand out. Well, I'll have to continue here. I got a phone call right at that moment. (laughs) So what a place to stop. The chapter continues. My two elder sisters were born in England. 
The one who ruled us felt very much firstborn in the English way, feeling herself better than the rest of us because she was the oldest. She was proud of being top. She listened to all the hard luck stories of the remittance people and said, I too was born in England. She sympathized with their homesickness and filled our home with these people. Dick and I hated the, hated the intruders. Lizzie and Alice resented them too, but quietly. My sister tried to compel my brother and me by means of the riding whip. A couple called Piddington sat on us for six months. The wife was, hypochon- was a hypochondriac and exploited ill health. The man was an idle loafer and a cruel bully. Anger at his impertinence and sponging kept the riding whip actively busy on our young legs. Things came to a climax when we rented a seaside cottage in the holidays. The man took a party of boys and girls out out in the boat. The sea was rough. I asked to be put ashore. Seeing my green face, the man shipped his oars and cried delightedly, We'll make the kids seasick. He rocked the boat back and forth till he succeeded. I was shamed before all the boys and girls. He knew, too, how it infuriated me to be called kid by him. You're not a gentleman anyway, I cried. You're a sponger and a bully. Purple with rage, the man pulled ashore and rushed to his wife, saying, The kid has insulted me. For insulting a guest in her house, my sister thrashed me till I fainted. But I was I refused to apologize, and the bully and I went around went round glowering at each at each other. I said to my sister, I'm almost sixteen now, and the next time you thrash me I shall sh- I shall strike back. That was my last whipping. Dick went east to school. The whip dangled idle on the hall peg, except after school, and on Saturdays, when I took it out as an as an ornament and went galloping over the country on old Johnny. Johnny had been a circus pony. He knew a lot. When he had galloped beyond the town and over the highway till all houses and fences were passed, he would saunter, stopping now and then to sniff the roadside bushes as if considering. Suddenly he would nose into the greenery, finding a trail no one else could see, pressing forward so hard that the bushes parted, caressing him and me as we passed and closing behind us, shutting us from every towny thing. Johnny pressed and pressed till we were hidden from seeing noise and people. When we came to some mossy little clearing where soft shade growing grass grew, Johnny stopped with a satisfied sigh. I let down his bridle and we nibbled. He on the grass, I at the deep sacred beauty of Canada's still woods. Maybe after all, I owe a thank you to the remittance ones and to the riding whip for driving me out into the woods. Certainly I do to old Johnny for finding the deep, lovely places that were the very foundation on which my work as a painter was to be built. The next chapter, Graduation. 
though I had graduated from Whipping's life at home was neither easy nor peaceful. Outsiders saw our life all smoothed on top by a good deal of mid-Victorian kissing and a palaver of family devotion. The hypocrisy galled me. I was the disturbing element of the family. The others were prim, orthodox, religious. My sister's rule was dictatorial hard. Though her whip beat me, no more her head shook harder and her tongue lashed. Wait, though her whip beat me no, no more, her head shook harder and her tongue lashed. Not content with fighting my own battles, I must decide to battle for the family rights of all of us, all us young children, younger children, sorry. I would not sham, pretending that we were a nest of doves, knowing well that in our home bitterness and resentment wreathed, writhed, sorry. Ugh, let me read that part over. I don't like when I mess up. Sorry, everybody. I would not sham, pretending that we were a nest of doves, knowing well that in our home bitterness and resentment writhed. We younger ones had no rights in the home at all. Our house had been left by my father as a home for us all, but everything was in my big sister's name. We younger ones did not exist. I marched to the dignified, musty office of the old Scotch gentleman whom my father had appointed as our guardian. He knew nothing of our inner home life. His kind, surprised eyes looked at me over the top of his glasses. No other ward of his, he had others beside us, had ever sought him personally in his den. What can I do for you, Emily? Please, I want to go away from home. There's an art school in San Francisco. May I go there? My guardian frowned, he said. San Francisco's a big and wicked city for a little girl to be alone in. I am 16, almost. You do not look it. Nobody's allowed to grow up in our house. My guardian grew stern. Your sister, he said, is an excellent woman and has been a mother to you younger children. In this art idea, is this art idea just naughtiness, a passing whim? No, it is very real. It has been growing for a long time. He looked at me steadily. It can be arranged. When he smiled at me, I was glad I had come. My sister, when she heard, what I had done without her advice, blackened. The breaking storm was checked by her chuckle. So you want to run away from authority? All right, I shall place you under the supervision of the Piddingtons. I had forgotten that the hated Piddingtons were now living in San Francisco. I was so glad for them to have moved that I had not cared where they went, but neither the Piddingtons nor the wickedness of San Francisco could crack my joy. Without my sister watching, I could defy the Piddingtons. I'd be busy studying art. I had always been fond of drawing and of beautiful places, particularly woods, which stirred me deeper than anything. Now I would learn how to put the two together. The wickedness of San Francisco caused me no anxiety. Big naughtiness, like immorality, drunkenness, vice I knew nothing of. 
Lies, destructiveness, impertinence were the worst forms of evil of which I was aware. The wickedness of San Francisco did not show in the least when our boat pushed through sea fog and entered the Golden Gate. Telegraph Hill, sticking up on our right, was very naughty, the captain said, but it looked beautiful to me, perched on the bluff as I stood on the bridge beside the captain. The sordid shabbiness of Telegraph Hill was wreathed in mist. Our ship eased slowly up to a dirty wharf. Here, smart and trim, stood Mrs. Piddington, an eye full of ogle, ready for the captain to whose care I had been entrusted. I was feeling like a tissue-wrapped valuable when he handed me over, but as Miss P- Mrs. Piddington took me, I changed into a common brown bundle, paper bundle. She scowled at my luggage, a straw suitcase and a battered birdcage containing a canary in full molt. <laughs> full molt. <laughs> Sorry, that's just very visual, isn't it? <laughs> I felt like a stray pup following elegant Mrs. Pennington from the wharf. The Pennington's lived in a large private hotel on Geary Street. They occupied a corner suite on the first floor. A little room was found for me at the top of the house. Until I looked out of its window, I had not known there were so many chimney pots in the world. I hung old Dick in the window, and he began to sing at once, and then the strangeness of everything faded, and my eyes were full of curiosity. The San Francisco people swallowed Mrs. Pennington. She tasted nice to them because her tongue made glib use of titles and her voice was extra English. Americans did not notice. Americans did not notice the missing H's. They liked the cut of her clothes. She was not at all proud of me and was careful to explain that I was no relation, just a Canadian girl put under her care to put under her care come to San Francisco to study art. She hustled me down to the school as soon as possible. The San Francisco School of Art was up over the old Pine Street Public Market, a squalid district, mostly wholesale. From the dismal street, you climbed a dirty stair. In a dark, stuffy office at the top sat a lean, long, bearded curator, tugging and tugging at his whiskers as if they operated his brain, and he, li- he had to think a great deal. Mrs. Pittington did not consider him worth ogling. She told him I was Canadian, but as Canada had no art schools and England was too far, there was nothing to be done but send me here. She intimated that personally she thought very little of America. However, being handy to Canada, could I enroll? The curator pulled his beard and asked, What do you know, girl? Nothing, I replied. Oh, said Mrs. Pennington. She draws very prettily. I could have killed her when I saw her hold out a little roll of my drawings that she had got from my sister. The curator pushed them aside and said to me, Not Mrs. Piddington. You come along. There was nothing for her to do now. There was nothing for her to do but go, and for me to do but follow. We passed through a big room hung with oriental rugs and dust. It was not part of the school. Sorry, it was not part of the art school. The art school lay beyond, but that this was the only way in. 
The school had been a great hall once. The center was lit by a big skylight. There were high windows all down the north side. Under those windows, the hall was cut into long alcoves by gray screens. One corner was boarded closed. On the door was printed, Life class, keep out. (laughs) The whole place smelt of rats. Decaying vegetables lay on tables. Still life studies. Long rows of students sat with lap boards, which had straddled behind legs that rested on the floor. Other students stood at easels drawing. In the center of the room, under a skylight, were great plaster images on pedestals. More students were drawing from these images. I was given a lap board in the first alcove and a chunk of bread. A very dirty janitor was hacking up a hard, sorry, a very dirty janitor was hacking up a huge crusty loaf. All the students were scrambling for pieces. The floor was littered with old charcoal blackened crusts. Charcoal scrapings were everywhere. There were men students as well as women. All wore smocks or very dirty painting pinafores. I went back to the office with the curator to buy charcoal and paper. Then I took my place in the long row. On one side of me was a fair, sharp-featured, sweet-faced girl with long, square-toed shoes like a pair of glove boxes. She wore a black dress and a small black apron of silk with a pocket from which she kept pulling a little lace-bordered handkerchief to flip the crumbs and charcoal from her lap. On the other side of me sat a dirty old man with a tobacco-stained beard. Art school was not exactly what I had expected, but this was a beginning, and I was eager to attack the big plaster foot that they set before me to draw. My name is Ada, said the little girl in black with the flipping handkerchief. What is yours? Emily. I was new last week. I came from Los Angeles. Where is your home? Canada. Oh, how terrible for you. I mean, coming from a foreign country so far away, how long were you on the sea coming? Three days. It took me less than one whole day. I'd died if I was further than one day away from Mama and Papa. I have a little sister, too, and a brother. I'm dreadfully homesick. The school is very dirty, isn't it? Just wait till you see the next alcove and smell it. Dead birds and fish and rotting vegetables. Still life, you know. Shoo, shoo. Her voice rose to a shrill squeal and the lace borrowed handkerchief flipped furiously. A rat was boldly marching a crust to his hole under the pedestal of a near image. Mama said I must be prepared to face things when I went out into the world, but Mama never dreamt there would be rats. Ada seemed much older than I, but after a while I discovered she was younger. She knew more about the world. Her mother had prepared her to meet any emergency, had told her how to elude evil, and if she could not dodge, how, to, how then how to face it. Ada said, Mama says San Francisco is very, very wicked. That is what my guardian said, too. It doesn't look bad to me, does it to you? Mama would never say it was bad if it wasn't. She came all the way up from Los Angeles to find a safe home for me to live in. How did your mother manage to see you were safe fixed? You live so far away.
My mother's dead. Oh, Ada said no more. But from that moment, she took care of me, sharing with me Mama's warnings, advice, extracts from Mama's letters. concludes this part of the reading. I look forward to the next chapter, which is con- continues the story of her life. I'm fascinated by it becoming... Um, it was fun to read about San Francisco because I know exactly where she <laughs> she was. And I'm going to do a little more research to include in the next chapter of reading about... It's possibly she was at the San Francisco Art Institute. I'm not sure. Um, so I don't know about that, but the next chapter I'll be reading is called Reasons, and, um, let's see how long that is. It's possible I'll get into, yes, Outdoor Sketch Class. It's a very short chapter. I might do three next time. Reasons, Outdoor Sketch, The Outdoor Sketch Class, and Nellie in the Lily Field. Looks like I'll get through that too as well. Wow, this is fun. You know, I like the way she's writing. I like the way that she has made it almost like a fiction story. I love her descriptions. <laughs> so, more shall be revealed, and I appreciate you listening. And tune in to the next chapter. Have a good day. <laughs>